Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 642 with Johnny Caraba. A lot of people think, oh, you know, you get to go greet people and shake hands and act like a you know celebrity or whatever you think this business is, but that's not the business. The business is hard, disciplined work, day in, day out, seven days a week. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore. In today's incredible guest, as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable. It doesn't get easier than Cake. Cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use. With cloud-based access from any device, 24-7 customer support, and a lifetime access to Cake University, how could you not love Cake? To learn more about Cake point of sale, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you're a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you will save $750 off activation. Again, that's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Stoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Johnny Caraba. Johnny, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh, I'm always feeling unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So after attending college at St. Thomas University in Houston, Johnny began working in the local restaurants owned by members of his family. In 1986, he opened Caraba's with his uncle, Damien Mendola. And in 1993, they entered a partnership with Outback Steakhouse, Inc., now Bloomin' Brands. At this point, or at one point along the line, the the Brumans, the 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 brand, the whole shebang, grew the concept to 247 locations. Uh, today, Caraba currently owns three Mia ta- three Mia's table and Gracie's. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> Grace's. Grace's on Kirby, as well as the two local locations of Carabas, the original. And I cannot wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, I think one of my favorite ones is, you know, to give for the sake of giving and not for the sake of gaining. You mm. know, uh, I think when you give from the heart, you know, uh, it comes back to you. I love it. And it's just that open-ended, uh, just looking to give without getting... Uh, you see people always, it, more often than not, looking to get a return when they are giving themselves is always kind of like a back-end like, angle, right? And what's your secret to giving without having a, an angle? How do you... Well, I mean, you know, I, I 
have a personal coach and, and I was going through a stage in my life where, you know, uh, something had happened and I told him, you know, I said, Hey, I'm tired of giving. He goes, well, why are you tired of giving? I said, cause you know, when I, when, when I give, you know, and it, it doesn't come back or somebody does me wrong, I, I get irritated or, you know, feel like I've been, you know, you know, I guess simply, you know, screwed in a way. He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Why do you give? And I said, I give to make people feel good. He goes, that's not why you give. He goes, you give to make you feel good. And he goes, and that's, that's in your, you know, that's in your DNA. He goes, so, you know, my grandmothers were like that. My family's like that. And, and when I started really kind of thinking about it, when you give, it benefits you more than anybody. And uh, I always feel like, you know, it comes back tenfold. You know, there's a lot of people that do things because, oh, I'll get a return on this investment. Uh, the investment really is never that good when you do things just because of the money or the fame or whatever, whatever you're into. And so uh, I just kind of have, have just said that I'm just going to give for the sake of giving yes. and not for the sake of gaining. I love it. It's a great way to get this thing started. And I can't help but think even like when you are giving all the time, um, if you're waiting, if you're if you're tracking all of your returns by the time it does come back around to you you're going to have forgotten where that you know yeah you know where it came from why it came back to you you're exactly and there's right, no right. way you can track it all so just just don't try to track it all just know that the universe will take care of you it will come back around some way somehow and you'll kill yourself trying to track all of your favorites especially you know in the game of life yeah. or the game of hospitality is which i've you know uh, uh which i'm in you know what i mean uh the, the people that do it right are people that, that love hospitality. They love giving. They like making people happy. They like making people welcome, feeling welcomed. And uh, I think that we've, we've lost that. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of restaurants out there and a lot of restaurant companies out there that they're doing everything for the return on investment. Uh, when you take care, you know, and, and that's all we do is, you know, we, we welcome people in our doors. We cook from the heart just like my grandmothers did. We serve it from the heart, uh, and when we stick to that fundamental, that 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 uh, that goal, uh, you know, where it comes from the heart, we're, we're going to continue to be successful. I love it. So you grew up in a restaurant family. Is it safe to say the restaurant industry is something you've known your entire life? Well, uh, actually, uh, the Caraba side of the family were that they were all in the grocery store business. So my grandfather started a neighborhood grocery store. My dad was the butcher. My grandmother was a the cashier. Then my parents bought the grocery store from my grandparents. So then my dad continued to be the butcher, and my mother was a cashier. It was a very mom-and-pop neighborhood where everybody had credit in the neighborhood. You know, they come in and sign a little book. Yeah. They get paid on Friday um, and lower-income neighborhoods. And uh, they'd pay their bill, get started over. But we were, you know, made deliveries. My dad had an old El Camino. And uh, we would make deliveries, uh, and uh, I learned a lot from that grocery store just about how to be uh, a family-operated uh, business. So what specifically do you think you learned? Look, reflecting back at that time, what did your parents teach you about being a small business, a small community business? My, my parents taught me really uh, – I give, I, did, I give three groups the credit for teaching me. You know, first of all, it was my, my, my grandparents, but then my parents uh, – they weren't preachers. They didn't, they didn't always tell me, Johnny, if you do this, you do that, you do this, you'll be successful. All they did was they led through example. 
I'll give you a for instance. You know, my dad was an old-fashioned butcher. He cut meat by hand uh, when, I, when I was growing up. Uh, there was no power saws and things, you know, uh, meat, meat slices, meat sauce, <laughs> yeah. saws. And, and I just remember, you know, they were there at 7.30 in the morning. They opened up their grocery store at 8 o'clock in the morning. They stayed there till 7 o'clock at night, six days a week. Naturally, Sunday was a family day. My mother was there every single day along with my dad. So I learned a lot about a family business. Without preaching, they taught me about work ethic. They were diligent. They, they were consistent. Um, my mother always had a hot cooked meal on the, on the table for us every night. They never, you know, uh, practically never missed any of my sporting events or my school events. Um, and, and, and they just taught me, you know, how to, how to, through their actions, they taught me how to, to be a part of a community. You know, the, all the neighbors, you know, uh, they, they were part of our family. What does it mean to be a part of a community? What does that look like? Don't well, I mean, I, I, do this, I do the same thing. You know, I really pride myself on being family-owned neighborhood restaurants. And um, when, when, you're, when you, you have a business in a small community, you're always there for that community. Whenever there's heartbreak, you're there. Whenever there's celebration, you're there. Uh, because if you're not, um, once that neighborhood knows that you're not into them, they will not support you, you know, wholeheartedly. And so that's, that's, that's where it's all at. I mean, you, when you run a small family-owned business, when you're part of that community, you can be generational. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like it was less of a, it was less about the transaction with your parents, but more about the support of the community with all these IOUs, like the little checkbook that they you know, they tracked all the 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 uh, transactions that would go on, and and I'm sure there was times where people didn't have the cash right away, but they still needed the butter. You yeah, know I mean, I, I I remember Eric. I remember on a lot of occasions, you know, somebody would be going through some hard times, and they would come to my dad, you know, to. They said, "Ma'am, I'm going through some hard times. Can I borrow a hundred dollars? Can I borrow two hundred? And 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 my dad, and my mom were always were were, were always there for them, uh, you know. And um, you saw the kids growing up, you know. And that's the that's the one thing not to jump back to you know my restaurants, you know, Carabas and Graces and Mias, but you know we're we're feeding you know fourth our fourth generation now. Cause we've been in business for thirty two years with the restaurants and." You know, you you're 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 raising kids. You're there for them. You know them. Uh, then they start dating, and then you know, then you're part of that that transact. They get married. They have kids. Then you do the same thing over and over again, where you become the business of choice. You know, uh, and 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 the the local the locals love supporting local business mm-hmm. people. You know, uh, I'm going to jump on you a little bit, but I'm not real fond of chain restaurants. Chain restaurants just want to go in that community, or most of them, I should say, because I don't want to get any, you know, <laughs> I don't want to upset anybody out there that, that run chain restaurants. Uh, they, they just want to, you know, it's a business to them. And when you have a family-owned business like we do, it's, 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 it's more than a business. Yeah, we, know it. we all know that we're here to make money and, and run a good business, but we're, we're here to be a part of something, and that, that, that community is where it comes in at. I'm making a note, not a fan of chain restaurants, because I feel like it'll be important to come back to that as we progress chronologically. You mentioned your there are three groups of people uh, that really influence you, your, your grandparents, your parents, and then there was one other group you haven't gotten around to yet. 
Well, that that well, my my parents and my grandparents. So that's the first group. Yeah, uh, that's just growing up, being around good people. That uh, you know, my my grandfather Caraba used to always say, you know, my words, my bond. You know, a handshake is good enough for him. He was a great business person. Um, so the the first group is my family. The second group uh, would be my my uh, my coaches at my high school. I went to St. Thomas High School here in Houston. I was a football player and a baseball player, and I was small, but I was slow. If anybody gets that one, that was a joke. <laughs> uh, but my coaches, they, they taught me a lot about discipline. They taught me a lot about fundamentals. They taught me a lot about showing up to practice on time. You know, you look good, you play good. Uh, they, they taught me a lot about discipline. And I ended up, matter of fact, after I finished high school, I was going to college, and my high school coach called me and wanted me to come back and help him coach. And so I coached football and baseball while I was in college. And I learned a lot from those coaches, you know, because they, they coaches work on the process, you know, the fundamentals of the game. And um, they're always, you know, trying to put teams together. Uh, they're, they're, like I said, they're, they, they taught me a lot. And uh, I, I was very fortunate to give the commencement speech at my high school, which is kind of ironic because I think I was ranked about 122 <laughs> out of a class of 134. But, uh, but that was a big honor for me. And I, I gave, you know, credit to my, my family, my parents, and I gave credit to my coaches. And you, 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 know, you never know in life who you're learning from, but I run my business like my coaches ran their teams. Um, and then the third group, Eric, is really, you know, I was very fortunate, man. I, I, my mother has three brothers. Um, their names are, you know, Vincent, Tony, and Damian Mandola. And so while I was going to college, you know, and I was I coached for a couple years, and then but they would always call me and, and and ask me, you know, hey, we need a bartender or we need a waiter, you know, and uh, I learned f- uh, from the best restaurant tours here in Houston, Texas, you know, so that's they they taught me everything. I learned something different. They were they were all three different. They had three different styles, and and I took the their best attributes. And I kind of, you know, molded my game after their best attributes. I think we're going to dive into some of those attributes. But I'm really curious. You mentioned from your coaches you learned discipline. And in my opinion, discipline, if there's three legs to a table, that that's one of those legs that you need to be successful. Is It doesn't matter what you know or who you know uh, or whatever your idea is. Unless you have the discipline to execute it, uh, you won't be successful. So what are the key variables about discipline or how do you well uh, eric a lot of a lot of people think that discipline is you know getting disciplined uh and and growing up i always thought the word discipline was a bad thing i thought it was you know um come over here you're getting ready to get a pop you know back when i'm 60 years old now so back then coaches could you know pop you and all that stuff um we're not going to get into that today but uh but discipline was you know uh you know run run two laps because you're late to practice but really, discipline is doing things right. It's the exercise of having great fundamentals. And so coaches are always preaching to you, you know, uh, this is your technique. You know, um, technique is very important. The discipline of, of a good, you know, practicing a drill. You know, uh, if you look at any, any musician or athlete or actor, they're always working on the basic fundamentals 
And that's when I talk about discipline, it's just, just having great basic fundamentals. Yeah. You know, when, when I don't know if I'm hitting your point, but no, you know, I love it. And it's a, a, when I think of discipline, I think of the willpower to do the, to do the, the right way or the harder way because it's the right way. And it, that takes so much emotional intelligence to, to, you know, maybe you want to cut a corner, maybe you're having a bad day, but to have the discipline to know that there's a right way to do something and that when you do something the right way, it, it pays off in the long run yeah. and having the, the willpower and the discipline to, to, to do it the hard way at your own inconvenience, you know? Well, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a student of the game. You know, I, I love working on, I love listening to people, you know, it could be Nick Saban at university of Alabama. It could be a, a lot. Of, I mean, I, I, I look at a lot of people on and, and listen to them when they talk about working on the fundamentals or working on the process. So last night, I listened to a 40-minute a, a speech from a, uh, a guy by the name of Tony Gonzalez who just got put in the Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame last night. And he was a gifted athlete, but he never wanted to go the extra yard. And then what happened was he had a coach who says, for you to reach the pinnacle of your, you know, your career, you're going to have to be the first one there and the last one to leave. So what he started doing, he started showing up to practice early, working on – just drills on how to catch a football or running his pattern. He was a tight end, so he was a receiver, right, running his patterns. And then he said, and then the other thing was is that he stayed late at practice. And it, it wasn't until then when he put the extra work in, the extra discipline, that's when his career took off. And um, that's what got him to the Hall of Fame was that extra discipline. To do the hard thing, right? To do the hard thing, you know uh, – you know, a lot of people think that my business, the restaurant business, is a glamorous business. I, I haven't seen anything glamorous about it. You know, um, I mean, you know, and I'm probably jumping the gun on you, but I mean, the first four years of, of Caraba's existence, I, I saw every, if it wasn't every plate, it was 99% of every plate of food go out of the kitchen. I worked in the kitchen. That was the hard thing. A lot of people think, oh, you know, you get to go greet people and shake hands and act like a you know celebrity or whatever you think this business is. But that's not the business. The business is hard, disciplined work, mm. day in, day out, seven days a week. Yeah. And we'll we'll get into yeah. the, the the story of how you how Johnny Carabas uh, became the beer. Carabas Italian Grill came to be. Uh, but up to this point, I don't want to assume that you. Uh, were working with your uh, family members. Did you, were you working in the restaurants? Your families? Your were you working under Vincent, Tony, and Damien at one point at, at their restaurants? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, so you got that's into the, the story that way. Well, um, like I said, I worked for all three of them, uh, and then um, I happened to be working for Tony Mandola, the middle brother, and um, I was really actually just waiting tables and shucking oysters for him. He had a seafood restaurant. And I was very fortunate to have worked with my grandmother, Grace, uh, who I named the restaurant after, who uh, was really, she taught us everything about food just by cooking for us and loving us. Uh, but I was working there one Friday, and uh, Uncle Tony came in and goes, Johnny, he goes, I just, he called me Johnny Boy, because a lot of Johnny's in the family. Johnny Boy, goes, I just signed a uh, lease on a second location. I said, man, that's great. He goes, well, I'd like for you to be uh, the general manager. And I was like 22 years old at the time, <laughs> 23 maybe. And I said, well, Uncle Tony, I said, you know, I'm very flattered, man. I said, that's a nice compliment because I always looked up to my uncles. And I said, but, man, I don't even know how to wait tables yet. And on top of that, I'm going to college because I want to be an accountant. I want to, you know, do the accounting world. 
And uh, he goes, well, listen to me, man. He goes, you have what it takes, and I need family there. He got the restaurant ready for me. I opened it, and I treated it like it was mine, and I went back to the way my parents ran their grocery store. I acted like an owner. And that's, that's, that, that's how I got hooked into this business. So what does acting like an owner look like? It means like doing everything, being there for your employees, being there for your customers, uh, owning it. Mm. You know, there, there's some people that go through the motions. Owners, owners don't go through the motions. Owners get things done. Uh, they have every, everybody's interest in heart. Um, there's no eye like an owner's eye because owners see things differently than somebody's just going through the motions. Mm. You now, when your uncle said you had it, did he ever have a conversation with you afterwards along the lines of what what it was about you that the the, the characteristics you possess that? No, made no him I know? never, I never really got that. I, I never got the the meaning of I had it. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, you know, it might have been he's just desperate to find somebody to put in there. But I think I think he could see that you know I was a good kid. You know, it's not that I didn't make mistakes or I did some <laughs> did some stupid things, but. I think that he knew that it's a gut feeling. It, it's a gut feeling, and and I, and and that's that's the way I run my restaurants. You know, it's it's it. You can show me a resume all you want, but more more times than not, it's watching people. You know, and my uncle Tony, like I said, you know, we worked together. You know, I worked for him, and I think he knew that I had work ethic. I think he knew that I had genuine concern for people. Mm. Uh, so that's that's probably what he saw. This wasn't. We're not talking about the original Carabas at this point. This is another restaurant. Oh, that yeah. This, this was Tony Mandola's Blue Oyster Bar. Got it. Got it. So how long were you there before transitioning to Carabas Italian Grill? Well, I was there for about three years, and then one night, the youngest brother, Damien Mandola, who's the the visionary and mastermind to Carabas, uh, he had a restaurant called Damien's Downtown. Really great Italian restaurant, and still there. And um, it's probably, you know, 36, 37 years old now. And uh, he would come home. He would come by my restaurant that I was running late at night. Mm-hmm. That's how restaurants, you know, restaurant tours eat late at night. And he came in one night and he's only six years older than me. So, you know, he's an uncle, but, you know, we're like close. Brother, yeah. yeah, like a brother. And uh, he came in one night and started talking about these great restaurants that in New York. And he mentioned a restaurant called Mezzaluna, which is, you know, kind of what we model Carabas after. You know, open kitchen, wood-burning pizza oven. You know, you saw the sautéing going on. Uh, fun, casual. And uh, he started explaining it to me and painting me a picture. And he looked at me. He goes, hey, man, you want to do this with me? Again, I was flattered. <laughs> but then I was also, yeah, I mean, but I have mixed emotions, you know. Uh, you're, you know, you're kind of recruiting me from your brother who happens to be my uncle. Uh, but then, you know, that, that's when, you know, I was ready to make the next step into ownership. So how did your uncle take that when he, he didn't take it, he didn't take it very well, okay. you know, um, but you know, we're over it. Yeah. You know, he didn't take it very well, but I, you know, I, I kind of felt like I needed an opportunity, you know, and, and I did a good job for him. He gave me an opportunity to learn and, um, it, it, it's all working out. So, you know? what were the biggest lessons you you took from Tony? You said you, you learned a lot from Tony, or was this Vincent that the first? Well, the, uh, I worked for Vincent also. I, I learned <clears throat> I learned a lot from all three of them. Vincent, I always say I learned work ethic. He's the most consistent man I know. Mm-hmm. 
he works every day, and I learned a lot from that. Um, just hard, hard worker, old school, you know, show up, mm-hmm. owner, you know, that's opening up his doors, closing. He still works, you know. He's in his 70s now, and he still is working every day. So I got work ethic from Uncle Vincent. My Uncle Tony Mandola, I got a lot of uh, uh, work on the processes of how to how to make schedules, how to control your costs. You know, ordering and receiving is very big in the restaurant business. He was a he was a boxer number one, so you have to be disciplined as a boxer. But he was very disciplined at doing the same things every day, and I learned a lot about the business part of it, the number part of it. And then my uncle Damien, I think he's probably one of the best Italian food restaurateurs in the country. His vision is unbelievable. His food, you know, my uncle Damien is a food guy. And he gave me a cookbook when we first uh, were starting our business. And uh, it was a cookbook by the the fine art of Italian cooking. And it's by uh, one of our favorite chefs named Giuliani Bugiali. And... Bugiali is just, yeah, like I said, one of the best. But Damien wrote a note in there for me. It's always about the attention to detail. Mm. And when it comes to food, Damien has that attention to detail. The other thing that Damien's really good at that I like is he has, he's a visionary. He knows what a restaurant should look like and feel like. Uh, and so that's that's what I learned from my three uncles. I'm 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 uh, completely indebted to them because of uh, what they taught me. And again, it kind of goes back to I didn't know I was learning from my parents at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't really know how much I was learning from my uncles. So it's really that those three groups: my parents, grandparents, naturally, um, my coaches at St. Thomas High School, and then my three uncles. They 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 gave me a good foundation. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many different things we can talk about right now, but I feel like uh, typically when I'm talking to my guests, uh, when they open their first restaurant, they have no clue what they're doing. They're just kind of starting from scratch, learning the hard way, failing and getting back up and learning the lessons as they go. But you had uh, the foundation of some of the best restaurateurs in Houston in your corner. So, I mean, were there any hard lessons? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were lessons you had to learn along the way. You didn't have it completely made, but... What was it like opening your first restaurant from scratch? Well, I mean, it was nerve-wracking. For one thing, I didn't, uh, you know, I have a problem with feeling worthy, number one. Um, was that problem feeling worthy? It's always a problem when you don't feel worthy, but I, I didn't feel like I, I had the experience, mm-hmm. you know. Um, first of all, you know, we're opening up our first Carabas in, in, uh, on Kirby Drive in Houston in a 3,000-square-foot building. Uh, the, the, the man that we were going to, try to lease the location from he he it was a, actually it was a pornographic newsstand and he wanted to get get out of that business because the city was putting a lot of pressure on him so he didn't want to lease it he wanted to sell it so i'm 27 at the time damien's uh, what 33 damien was in debt from his restaurant you know in downtown houston he was just getting his business going and uh, 1986 was the worst economic times in houston's history so the first bank we went to was a bank that my grandfather did business with, my dad did business with, and we're going to go see the banker that, you know, I grew up with. And um, he turned us down. Well, nine banks eventually turned us down. Wow. And so um, the 10th bank, which was very lucky to a customer of ours uh, who happened to be on the board of the bank, he led us there. So 
that's that's one hard knock, you know, I mean, to get rejected nine times when you're trying to start a business. The other thing was, is that we opened up on December 26th of 1986. On December 25th, which happens to be Christmas usually, I'm sitting next to my dad. And I asked my dad, and my dad gave us, co-signed the loan for us. Because, like I said, me and Damien didn't have two nickels to rub together. And uh, I'm sitting next to my dad, and I said, Dad, I said, you know, we're opening up the restaurant tomorrow. He goes, yeah, I know that. You know, and we're close, and he knew that, but I was trying to get to a question. I was trying to set him up. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, do you have any money on you? He goes, yeah, man, but what do you need money for? He just co-signed a loan for me. And I said, well, I don't have any money to open up the cash register. <laughs> so my dad gave me $500 that day wow. after, after our Christmas lunch. But I was so nervous because I didn't really think I had what it took to open up a business. It's a very vulnerable feeling. I think everybody has that, that, that little bit of doubt in their gut that they have to overcome. So how did you overcome this feeling of not being worthy of, of the little bit of doubt maybe that you weren't ready? How well, did you overcome one, that? One thing, Eric, I have to correct you. It's not a little bit of doubt. <laughs> it's a lot of doubt. Some people have a little bit. You had a lot of doubt. Well, yeah, a lot of people have a lot. And I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's good to have a, a little bit or a lot of doubt because – if you go in there acting like you know everything, you know, you start having like a little bit too much confidence or swagger. That's when mm-hmm. you kind of get, you know, I'm glad I, I, I get nervous when I don't get nervous. Yeah. And I was actually really nervous, but uh, I was just young, man. You know, I was young and, and, and really didn't have, I didn't think I had the experience to open up a restaurant, but I just threw myself into it. And when you totally engulf yourself in something, you know, you, you, you figure it out day by day, minute, moment by moment. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, they've, I, 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 my, my previous history as a commercial pilot, we had to learn all about human factors and the level, like how you perform under stress. And there are studies that show that when we are under stress, it's when we perform our best. There's like a bell curve. And like when you reach those levels of high stress, that, that's when you're at your peak optimum performance because of what you just said, like you're, you're, you're aware, you're conscious, you're, you're working harder than you would because there's a little bit of stress there. So you're, you're going to do that extra bit of work to make sure that things are good. But when you get confident, too confident, you get fat, dumb and happy. And that's when things start to slip between the cracks because you're not, you're not aware. You're not conscious. You're just kind of going along with the flow. So to have that little bit of doubt, to have that, to, 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 to always be under a little bit of stress, you're going to operate and perform at your best. Uh, but maybe that's not healthy in the long run. Who knows? <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> right? This is usually where I take my break to thank my sponsors. We'll be right back. Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable okay so you're about to talk to us about the first few weeks or months at Carabas. Well, I mean, first 
few weeks, months, the first year, it was uh, seven days a week from eight in the morning till midnight, uh, sleep deprived, emotional, trying to build my team. You know, when you first open up a restaurant, some people show up, some people don't. You have attitudes. And I just worked every day with my people. And uh, that that was grueling. And, and I can remember on two or three occasions where it was so hot in the kitchen that I would go in the walk-in refrigerator and I'd get a milk cart and turn it upside down and I would sit on it. And two or three occasions, I, I broke down and cried because mm. I didn't think I could do it. You know, it was like running a marathon almost every day. Um, and, you know, even though I would leave the restaurant at 12 or 1 in the morning, a lot of people would think, well, you can go home and get some sleep till you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and go back up with the work. That's enough sleep. Well, when when it's 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 kind of like somebody that has an office job going to sleep at you know five thirty when they get off of work at five and you know, take some time to unwind. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really you know the hardest thing I've ever been through. Uh, I look back now and I look at the journey. I, I relish in it, you know, and uh, it's kind of like you know running a marathon. You're not enjoying it, but when you get done, not that I would know about running a marathon, <laughs> but I've ran a half one, but. Uh, but when you when when you look back on it, the pain kind of fades, and then you relish in your success or your successes, you know. And uh. so, one thing we haven't really gotten into, which is something that I'm really curious about, and, and something that I want to learn more about, is the power of partnerships. And I think personally that in today's market, you can't compete at the level of the best restaurants unless you have a partner, unless somebody's there to complement your weaknesses. So what was your partnership with Damien like? How how did you guys round off the complete picture? So you already mentioned he was the visionary. Uh, he could see things. He had the passion, the detail for food. What, what did you bring to the table? I was the executor. Okay. You know, I mean, that's that's where Damien and I made a great partnership. You know, uh, Damien lives in Austin now. He has his, uh, his uh, Mandela's family markets. Um. I bought Damien out about 15 years ago. Uh, he wanted to move to Austin and, you know, eventually moved to Italy for a while. But our partnership was beautiful because he ran Damien's. I'm the managing partner of Carabas. One thing I loved about Damien, the thing I love about him is that, you know, he, he, he empowered me. He set me up. He painted me a picture. I had a beautiful picture that he had painted on what he wanted Carabas, and I feel like I'm a disciplined person enough, um, you know, that I could I could execute his vision. And I was the guy that made it happen, you know. Uh, he set me up with beautiful recipes. Um, he set me up with, you know, a, 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 a beautiful, you know, nice-looking building, you know, lined up with equipment, and I was there with him, but he's the one that, you know, did that and then it was up to me to to run it day yeah. in and day out so i was a, the original you know general manager managing partner of carabas and we were 50 50 partners so this is something i want to dive deeper to lean into you said that damien and it's safe to say that at this point in your life damien's kind of like a mentor to you six years older like a brother close in age but he had a lot of experience in the industry so he's teaching you he's mentoring you. you're looking to him for guidance is that safe to say well, oh yeah, exactly but the one one thing that i'd like to tell you eric is that damien was the ultimate visionary so i'm a hundred percent sicilian from Sicilian descendants, right? So is Damien. Our family really, our, our kind of people, we run a business, one business, a neighborhood business. It could be a shoe shop. It could be a produce stand. It could be a butcher shop. It could be a grocery store, whatever it is. But 
we think kind of like not to not to belittle us we're you know good loving people but one business well i thought that i was going to run the original carabas for the rest of my life just like my grandfather ran his grocery store and then my parents took it over and i thought i'd hand it off to the children that i didn't have at the time well, after we were about a year old, Damon goes, Johnny, he goes, this Caraba deal, man, he goes, it's got some legs, which means it can travel. Mm-hmm. He said, I think you need to start looking for a second location. And I had thought he had lost his mind because I didn't know how it was going to work more than what I, I was working 100 to 118 hours a week. Uh, and um, I didn't know how I was going to do it because I was that control freak, that owner operator kind of guy. Well, it was his vision that wanted to open up a second one. Well, I'm going to jump the gun on you a little bit now. We had two locations, and all of a sudden we started getting phone calls from some of the wealthy people in Houston that wanted to put some money into us and mm-hmm. grow, but I didn't really want that because I was a control it's, freak. It's, it's amazing how that happens. Like you, couldn't, you went to 10 banks before you got a yes, then, and now you have a little bit of a su- success, and people are throwing money at you. Right, right. and then, then by the time restaurant companies started calling us, and that's when... I got a phone call from Tim Gannon at Outback Steakhouse. Never heard of Outback Steakhouse. Never heard of Tim Gannon. And, um, but Damon had that vision to open up that second location. And uh, he's a big thinker. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not. You know, I think small. Uh, but, but that kept me grounded in being here every single day. To but get- again, like, you know, the, the power of partnership that you – when you have partnerships, you can be in your verticals. You need that person to be thinking small and, and in the restaurant every day. And then you need that person that's out thinking big, looking at the future on a, a, a greater scale. Well I, well, I think partnerships are the hardest thing in the world. Absolutely. Uh, you know, most partnerships do not work, especially partnerships are with family. Uh, we knew our roles. And, uh, Dam- and Damien, were, what Damien was so smart is he knew – Give me the power. He wasn't a control freak. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of his number one attributes is he can he can tell you what he wants and then he backs up and allows you to feel good about it. Yeah. And that's what I wrote down. I, I, I put bullets next to him, empowered me and painted me a picture. And I think that when you are developing your team and giving them opportunity, you can't just slap on on the ass and say, go get them. You need to give them the tools. You need to empower them. And one of the best ways you can empower your team is by painting that picture, like you said, by showing them what the job... I I don't want to put words into your mouth, but when he he was empowering you, when he was painting that picture for you, how was he... Like, What did that look like? How can we recreate what John... What um, Damien did for you. Well, the, the, the one thing that he did, and he's just a, a, a really one of the smartest people I've ever met, was one thing he did was he made the decision to name it Carabas. Mm, what did that well, His last name is Mandola. Mm-hmm. That's my mother's last name, right? My, that's my mother's brother. And he knew what he was doing. He knew that if it, the, the name Carabas, <laughs> you know, that he was empowering me. Mm. And... Uh, so, that, that, I mean, he just did things like that, you know, and he would never, like, come in here and say, Johnny, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. He'd always say, Johnny, let's think about this. Or, you know, it was, it was like when we first opened up, you know, we were cooking everything a la minute, which means everything we did was ingredient by ingredient. And he knew that I was getting my butt kicked because we were so busy and we were doing everything the old-fashioned way like you would do in your kitchen at mm-hmm. home. He started batching recipes for me. But he didn't throw it in my face. He said, Johnny, what do you think if we did marinara this way? Or what do you think if we did Alfredo this way? You know, so 
he was just he was a he was a mastermind you know he's smart mm. so any other big lessons from the early days uh you, you said you mentioned earlier that you know at some points you didn't think you could pull it off you were in the the walk in with your hands and your your face and your hands crying trying to figure out how you're going to overcome it how did you overcome it take us through what you think you did that made caraba such a success I, I think I worked really hard with my people, and uh, you know I just go ahead and get it out of the way now. I have um, with the two original Carabas, I have two hundred twenty employees. A hundred and ten of them have been with me ten years or That's longer. That's incredible. And so I learned. I, I think through my coaches, I learned how to 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 take care of my people, work with them. Uh, so I think I think really basically uh, when I started really mentoring you know i mean i I, mean, I still have six people that have been here with me 32 and a half years you know i have people that, i mean when i if i introduce you to my staff today you know i have people 24 years 25 years 26 years i, I think that's really when i when i i think that's when i started realizing that maybe i had a little bit of a talent with working with people i'm not the easiest guy to work with but they know that i'm in there with them and so that, I think that's when I started realizing, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, you are. Absolutely. But I, I think, you know, that that's that's, uh, you know, when I when I realized it, you know, uh, I still do orientations and I want to talk about this for a second. I still do orientations every three months. I get all my new employees from my company um, and and I take some of my older people. I think they need some rejuvenating. And I go over the history, the fundamentals of our business, uh, you know, our principles and beliefs, and I talk a lot about culture. But one thing I tell them is you never know who controls your fate. I've talked about, you know, my uncles. They saw a talent in me. I didn't know they were controlling my fate at the time. Then I talked about the 10 banks. The 10th bank gave us the money. Nine banks let us down, you know, turned us down. Um, but the one thing then, you know, Tim Gannon from Outback Steakhouse approached us. Well, there's a story in there. First of all, the banker that we went to go see, I didn't know it, but she was a customer of mine at Tony Mandola's Blue Oyster Bar. Okay. Her fiance proposed to her at Damien's mm. restaurant. So she... A little sentimental value. A little sentimental value. Yeah. The banker that sent us to the bank happened to be a customer that I didn't know named Mr. Ralph Minchin. Tim Gannon, who was, he'll tell you, he was dead broke living in a garage apartment in Houston, Texas, on Sunset Street in, in West University. He happened to be a customer. He gets part of the Outback, one of the founders of Outback, and when they hired him, he didn't have any money. They hired him for his food talent. When Chris Sullivan, the, the CEO and founder of Outback, said, hey, man, we need another growth vehicle. What restaurant do you like? He said, there's a little restaurant in Houston, Texas that oh I used gosh. to go sit with. So I'm, not, I'm giving you the, 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 the cliff notes of this story. But what I tell my people and what I tell young people, I deal with a lot of young people that want you know, a little mentorship. I always tell them, I say, you never know who's going to control your fate. There's an old baseball player by the name of Joe DiMaggio, deceased now, played for the New York Yankees, center fielder, mar- married to Marilyn Monroe for a while. But he said that I play the game of baseball hard every play because there might be somebody in the stand that's never seen me play but has heard about me, and I want to impress them. I want to live up to that reputation, right? So along my line, 
along my line, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that my coaches were impressed by me, not by my athletic ability, but they called me to come, come coach with them. Right. I thought about that. Right. Uh, I didn't know my, I was impressing my uncles. I was just doing my job, but my uncles gave me an opportunity. Then, you know, you get to the banker, you get to Mr. Ralph Minchin, who, you know, was on the board of the bank, who happened to be just a customer at Damien's, and then you get to Tim Gannon. So the sky's the limit. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people want to go, they think success is just going to fall in their lap. You got to go grab whatever success is. You know, uh, I, I don't really look at myself as being successful yet. You know, people are, you know, I mean, I, I have successes, but I don't think I look at myself as being successful yet because I'm in the game, right? I think that's just nature of people that try mm. to achieve. They're never, you know, happy with their success. They always think they can do better, but they, you know, you have to go, you have to go grab it. You I know, I love the story you're sharing with us. Cause we started this conversation talking about don't track, you know, don't track the return on what you give, you know, cause you never know. And it's impossible to track. It will come back to you some way, somehow. And you just proved that, you know, you're just putting your nose down, being a good person, a good, a good nephew, a good uh, restaurant owner, good to your employees, good to your guests. And when you give, you give, you give with no intention to return, all these things have come back to you somehow. Like all these people took note of what you were doing, how you were doing it, and they took care of you. It did come back, but you never planned that. No, never, never in my wildest dreams. Mm. You know, um, a lot of things come to my mind talking to you today. You know, but I had uh, there's two guys that I'd like to mention that had something to do with the way I think, uh, and it's kind of emotional for me because they're getting a little older now and. Uh, but my uncle Ciro Lampazes, when I was graduating from high school, and I, and I very I, I believe that I'm very coachable and I like to look, listen to people. But he he called me up. He goes, "Hey Johnny, he goes uh, getting ready to graduate, man. Congratulations! And uh, what what are you going to do?" I said, "Uncle Ciro, I, I want to be an accountant." He goes, "Really?" He goes, "I I never pictured you being an accountant because you know we're kind of like you know yeah small business type people." And I said, "Yeah," I said, "You know." I, I have a friend of mine, and I said his dad made $225,000 last year working for a big aid accounting firm. And my Uncle Ciro, when, you know, I feel like, you know, they were, he was just great to me. He said, hey, boy, he goes, don't you ever do anything for the money. He goes, you do it because you love it, mm. and the money will follow. And then my Uncle Rocco, who's my godfather, who lives in Atlanta, uh, he, he, uh, was a just a, a a great mentor to me, you know, and not mentor is a word that's overused now, but it just he was always there for me, always talking to me about different things. But the one thing that I learned the most out of him, he would tell me that knowledge is powerful. He goes, what knowledge does is is it enables you to have confidence. He goes, but knowledge and confidence will not get you to the promised land. He goes, there's another key ingredient. If you have knowledge, which builds confidence, you know you can make the play or cook the dish or whatever you're trying to do. He goes, if you add enthusiasm on top of that, he goes, you you will be somebody that will not be beaten. Mm. So knowledge builds confidence when you add enthusiasm on it. It's a, it's a combination that is undefeated. Or makes you unstoppable. 
unstoppable <laughs> Un- unstoppable i love it awesome oh man i can't believe it's already uh we got 10 minutes of time together right now uh i did want to bring to the table uh real quick we ought to also bust out a speed round so keep that on top of your mind when you're answering this um i had larry and jessica delgado on the show does the name sound familiar oh yeah they worked with me yeah and uh they interviewed i interviewed with them and um they had so many incredible things to say. They, they attributed their success as far as what they've done with their businesses to the training they got coming up through Carabas. And, and again, coming back to your it factor, your strength of empowering your people, paying attention to your people. Um, give us something, uh, a lesson that we can take, something that we can Im- implement in our businesses, something specific when it comes to empowering your people and taking care of your people and something that how that will make you, you and your businesses and the people that you surround yourself better? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you have to have very strong fundamentals and principles and beliefs. You know, number one thing that I always talk about in my orientations that I do personally, you know, and, that I, and, and I enjoy every one of them, even though I feel like I'm repeating myself, like, you know, like an old man. But, you know, I mean, first of all, my biggest threat is the loss of culture. I have to work really hard at keeping the intensity of my culture. Uh, don't I, I want to stay? I want my company to stay grounded. And and what our what our fundamentally uh, fundamentals were uh, years ago. The number two thing I always talk about is the golden rule. You know, treat people with genuine concern. The golden rule is very strong. You know, uh, a lot of people think it's like a you know a, a religious type saying, but every culture. Every religion also has has a golden rule, and if you ever research it, the golden rule is basically the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little different words here or there, different languages, but but it, when when you treat people with genuine concern, uh, not that I've always done that because sometimes I get a little hot headed and say things I shouldn't say and hurtful things, but but you have to have you know golden rule, the, you know live by the golden rule. The other thing that I really preach is fundamentals. You know, and I think the Delgados, you know, they, they, they can quote my fundamentals verbatim because they've heard them over and over again, and they're beautiful people. Um, and and uh, I want to stop right there before I talk about the fundamentals is that I get emotional talking about my people. You know, it, uh, my, my people, they're my family, and uh, I'm not going to get away from that, you know. Uh, Right now, you know, I have, you know, with my little company here in Houston, I have like, you know, 615 employees, you know, and, and, and growing. But I, I, I pretty much know everybody by their name because I think that's important. You know, it's treat people with concern. Um, uh, but, the, but our fundamentals are very basic. Food, I could talk to you for six months about our food because I'm a kitchen man. Mm. Service. Cleanliness atmosphere and ambiance and you have to have high morale i do not worry about morale morale is a byproduct of living by the golden rule Mm. and it's also a byproduct of winning when you execute your fundamentals of food service cleanliness atmosphere and ambiance and you execute them from the heart you will win i love it winning is fun Losing is not fun. Man, I love it. And I think there's probably a lot of people are, that are wondering right now, Eric, why haven't you even spoken about you know scaling this business into 247 locations uh, and all the advice you could probably give us on like franchising? But the truth of the matter is all that that you've achieved was built off of the foundation 
in the early days, in my opinion. I think that behind every great restaurant's a great person. So if we want to learn how to become great, you spend the time talking about the the, the elements the, that influenced you during the early days and what those early days were like. Is that a safe thing to say? Yeah, uh, it's uh, the, the safest thing to say. <laughs> okay, awesome. You have to have a strong foundation. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You can't, yeah. you can't, you can't build a skyscraper if you have a weak foundation. Absolutely. And uh, we have to take another quick break to, to thank our sponsors. We're going to come back to the bus out a, a quick speed round. Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for cake point of sale, but you have to use my links again. That's trycake.com slash unstoppable. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurants hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We are back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I have an idea. Hard work. <laughs> yeah. I, I was also thinking uh, your ability to, to focus on other people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is uh, I get a little emotional at times. Mm. Uh, what is one thing you ask or look for, one thing you're looking for when you're building your team in, in hiring? What, what, what's one element you're looking for? Genuine concern from the heart. What is your biggest challenge today? Getting people to have confidence in themselves. How are you accomplishing that? By enabling them to feel good about themselves, to, to, to know that their hard work is going to pay off. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Enthusiasm. How do you teach enthusiasm? You don't. Hire for it? You hire for it and you set, set the example. Love it. Uh, what is a one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? A way to go above and beyond what's expected. 
putting yourself in their shoes and going beyond the call of duty. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? I like Danny Myers setting the table. Classic. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? I don't think they love their employees enough. Mm. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls recently that's had a huge impact on operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? I uh, can't answer that question. I'm a, the lowest tech guy you know. <laughs> um, this is the last question. And that was a true speed round, by the way. Thank you. This is the last question. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true uh, that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Eric, I hate to do this to you at this time of day, but can you repeat that question? <laughs> Absolutely. So three things that you know to be true, uh, that you can leave behind for the good of humanity, what would they be? The three things. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to love and you know, love what you're doing. Your example that you set is paramount, just like my parents, my uncles, my coaches. And I think that you need to just love love your people love what you're doing make know that you are the example be the example and then love your people make sure yep that's love it, it man. love it love this is an incredible conversation thank you so much johnny wrap up every chat by calling somebody out so who's one independent restaurant operator somebody that you respect and admire and believe would be a great guest mentor on the show they don't have to be independent operator well he's he's walking up right now oh, yeah. we're looking out the windows damien mandola he's in austin He's an awesome, but he's here today doing some other work with me. Well, I'll have to introduce myself. And I'm going to make sure I introduce <laughs> you because I think he's an, he's an interesting visionary. and uh, Beautiful. Awesome. Damien, look out. I'm coming after you. I'll talk to you in two minutes, it sounds like. And uh, let the folks at home know, if we want to come join your team and get that same mentorship that uh, the Delgados got, uh, we want to learn from you. What's the best way to connect? What's the best way to be on your team? Uh, well, my email. Uh, <laughs> At J Caraba at gmail.com is C A R R A B B A. Beautiful. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, and just again, Chef Johnny Caraba is a cool. You, you don't get the chef name dropped I'm on not the, a chef. Enough. You're not a chef? Okay. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a kitchen manager. Okay. <laughs> Johnny, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. You've been great. Thank you. Cheers. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C. C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.